This is episode 15 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm Anna Holden, a professional intuitive and energy healer. I help highly sensitive people dig into the shadows of their soul to access their gifts, reclaim their purpose, and get intimate with their ultimate truth. I also teach intuitive development and mentor emerging healers through my Sacred Rebellion programs. Each week on the podcast, I explore different aspects of living a soulful, sensitive life. I'll bring you stories of other sensitive, creative pioneers, as well as my own thoughts, teachings, and tools. This is not the beginner's guide to sensitivity, but rather the place for sensitive souls to gather up their courage and pioneer their way into a life of personal freedom and spiritual sovereignty. Your sensitivity is sacred. Are you ready to live that way? Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. So this is one of the weeks that you just have me uh, listening to my thoughts, uh, my ideas, and some of my stories. I've been inspired by this week's podcast, this week's episode, to, to tell more personal stories. On Sunday, I drove to the grocery store by myself, which is rare. Usually my my toddler comes with me, Um, but I got to go by myself. It was like pure freedom. (laughs) Walk around the grocery store by myself. (laughs) But on the way, I decided to listen to The Moth. And if you're not familiar with The Moth as a podcast, The Moth Radio Hour, I highly recommend it because it's, it's stories. And there's something that is so incredibly nourishing about stories. Today, we don't really live in this place of storytelling um, through our families, at least, where, you know, or through our, our tribes, our communities. And that's where storytelling, you know, that's kind of how it originated, is telling our history and, and passing things down. And there's less and less of that. And I think this is why I've become really interested in, you know, books and TV shows and podcasts that have really compelling stories, because there's something about stories, uh, particularly personal stories, that I just find really connecting and nourishing. So uh, I, you know, I, I realized that on The Moth, they... You know, a lot of the speakers there have applied, they have coaches, they're, for all intents and purposes, they're, they're becoming professional storytellers, and I'm not a professional storyteller. So I'm going to do my best here to weave together um, a theme that includes some personal stories, okay? So I hope that you will bear with me. Because this is a week that you just have me, I will be doing the group oracle at the end of the session, at the end of the podcast. So have a question in your mind that you would like a bit of guidance on, and I will be tuning in to listeners of this episode to download a message from Spirit. And if you like these uh, little oracles, they've been fun for me. If you like them, I do them pretty often on Instagram. 
and you can find me at Sensitivity Uncensored. I also do extra uh, oracles to my Patreon supporters. So if you haven't supported this podcast on Patreon, you can do that by heading over to patreon.com forward slash sensitivity uncensored. And if you're able to donate at the $2 a month level or more, so it's 24 bucks a month. Oops, I meant actually 24 bucks a year. That's like lunch in Seattle. (laughs) Um, If that's available to you, you get access to lots of extras, in particular, more group oracles. So let's get into this. Today I've been guided to talk about how I learned to read clairvoyantly. And this is a question that I get a lot. Like, how did you come into this work? How did you learn to to do this. And it's a really, I always take a big deep breath when somebody asks me that because it's not, it's not straightforward. My journey to getting where I am now and doing the work that I'm doing now is very meandering (laughs) and did not feel linear. In fact, I think a lot of you know who follow my work that in my, um, younger years and through my 20s, I was such a rule follower and I, you know, my my father was a scientist and I loved the earth and so I got a bachelor's degree in resource conservation with a minor in women's studies and wilderness studies and then I went straight into graduate school and got a master's degree in environmental science and I worked actually as a water quality specialist um, for the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary. I know, right? <laughs> and it was really fun. Um, but, so people look at that and they go, okay, wait, how did you get to where you are now? Um, because on, you know, when, when you tell it like that, I went from scientist to psychic, it looks like a really big turn of events. But the way that I actually see it when I look back on it is more of, oh, there was this underlying theme in my life of being a seeker, of being someone who really craved connection to spirit and dreamed about a kind of spiritual life that I saw my, my playmates having in their uh, religion that I wasn't a part of. Um, and being somehow tending to magic. I don't know how else to explain that other than I was a believer. I've always been a believer in something beyond. And I wanted to, I wanted to be able to keep that and to hold that. And so that was this theme in my life. No matter what else I was doing, So whether I was in chemistry class, whether I was racing triathlons, which I did, whether I was downhill ski racing, which I also did, there was this underlying theme of where's the magic, what's happening between the lines, um, and my ability as a highly sensitive person and intuitive to sense the subtle world. So when I think about it like that, to me, it just seems, you know, kind of like 
like fate, I guess, in a way. Fate and destiny are a whole other podcast, so let's not get too stuck up on that, (laughs) too stuck on those terms right now. So in episode 13, I talked about how intuition is utilizing subtle sense organs. And when I, and so now, um, as in my professional space, I utilize my clairvoyance and my claircognizance most often. Um, Those are the tools that I like to use with others because it helps me stay uh, clear and a little bit more neutral so that I can actually facilitate a healing experience for somebody else, facilitate transformation for somebody else. If I just stay in clairsentience and feeling, I have a really difficult time holding that space. But when I was younger, and I mentioned this in episode 13, that I was mostly clairsentient. And I kind of look at high sensitivity as the invitation that the body gives us to be intuitive. So high sensitivity or just, you know, having a more sensitive soul uh, is basically like having already open channels for receiving information. Becoming intuitive is choosing to learn to understand those channels and to work with them and to work with the information that's being received. That's, that's kind of the way I see it. So as a, as a young kid, I had incredibly open feeling channels. Um, and this was challenging for me in a lot of ways. So I'll give some examples. One example, and I just, I just remember this so vividly. I had a really difficult time in first grade. Kindergarten was all right for me. It was like a half day class. My best friends were in my class, my next door neighbors. Um, I struggled sometimes, but for the most part, like kindergarten, I was cool with kindergarten. But then I went to first grade and First grade felt so much more formal. There, you know, there was this way that we had to sit at desks for much more of the day. Um, we were gone the whole day, uh, and I and I didn't realize it at the time. But I think what I was picking up on was really heightened emotions. So I'll remember this. I remember this day. And I remember this kid's name, but I'm not going to share it for obvious reasons, that I was sitting in class and um, this, this classmate of mine had raised his hand and asked if he could use the restroom. And the teacher said, not right now, like in a moment. And I was sitting behind him and I remember being really aware of, I, I could see that the teacher was oblivious. And I don't know how I could see that other than her focus, her attention was not on the student. Her, her attention was on some process of, that she had to write on the board. And I, I could kind of see that next to her. And I was really aware of this growing sense of um, what just felt like emotion from this, from this little boy. And I, I started to notice his ears got a little red and it, it it almost felt like heat was coming off of him but 
in my body, I just felt an extreme sense of discomfort, like extreme discomfort. And then I watched as he wet his pants. And I watched as like urine flowed (laughs) out, you know, filled up his chair and flowed all the way down. And I could see that he was trying not to cry. And I was like looking at at the back of his head and looking at the teacher kind of like, are you not going to notice this? And I started to become very upset because it's like I was holding all this in my system too. And finally, I remember my teacher looked at the student and said, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I'm so sorry. And she, she, you know, to her credit, she had so much compassion for him and, and she felt terrible. And he was so embarrassed. And he was upset and crying. I was upset and crying. They, you know, took him away to get cleaned up and I think, you know, sent him home or maybe his mom came to change his clothes. But I had to go home because I was so upset. I was just so upset and not that urine bothered me, you know, nothing like that, but the, um, you know, the embarrassment, that much emotion, and then the students' different reactions were uncomfortable um, to me too, because not all of them were in compassion. Some of them were, um, you know, making fun of this, of this little boy. So that was one way that I noticed clairsentience as a kid. The The other way um, was through, I, I just started getting a lot of really kind of nervous stomach aches. And this became a theme. This happened also in the first grade. Um, and I loved school. Like, I loved school. I, I was one of those people who could have been like a career student because I just love learning. But um, through elementary school... Um, and, and it would kind of peak at different times. And I would um, I'd get these nervous, nervous stomach aches. And, and they would, of course, get a lot worse if somebody else um, had an embarrassing moment or became sick or something like that. I would go home. And as soon as I got home, I'd be fine. Because I, it's like I wasn't really sick. It's just that my channels were so, so open. At least that's how I think about it now. I remember in particular um, a time that got really, really bad was in middle school. And I remember my mom getting really fed up with me because I was in seventh grade because I remember my English teacher. um, And I could not sit in class. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but the the nervous stomach that I felt was so bad. I thought I always I just kept thinking I was going to going to going to vomit. And I I called my mom to take me home every day for 2 weeks. And as soon as I would walk out of the class, things would calm down. And this was so infuriating for me because you know, my mother wanted real proof that I was sick. You know, she wanted me to have a fever or be throwing up or something like that. And so I, I think I maybe got to go home one time. Um, my mom was pretty stringent about that. And so I just stayed and suffered. And eventually it kind of would go away. It popped back up in college. Um, and, and it wasn't like a stomach ache, you know, where you eat something bad and like you have stomach cramps or something. It was like nervous stuff. So Looking back now, this is how I understand myself to, um, to, to have had that clairsentient ability, those super open channels. That's just 
one of the ways, one of the ways. And now as a clairvoyant, you know, someone who practices mainly clairvoyant and claircognizance, the other thing I am able to see in retrospect is how I think I was really blocking my clairvoyant channels. I was the kind of kid who, like physically I was very strong and in a lot of physical capacities I was a little fearless, like I I skied really fast and, you know, I I liked to stand on the edges of cliffs and (laughs) that kind of a thing, but um, in other ways I was actually really fearful. Um, And... I was really, I was really fearful of like the, like I was scared of the dark. I was scared of evil. Um, I was scared of like, you know, monsters and and things like that, that kids get scared of. And for me, I think that, I think that if I was naturally a clairvoyant, I think that I would have been blocking it. And I think that a large part of the reason behind that comes from growing up the way that I did in the place that I did. So here's another story to explain that. I grew up in a small town, well, small-ish town called uh, Logan, Utah. And actually, I grew up in a smaller town, just like in the county of that valley. It's called Providence. It has like a post office and an elementary school, and um, it's getting a little bigger now. But... I grew up in this this area that was primarily most uh, most people there in the eighty percent practice the the Mormon or Latter Day Saint religion, and I think if you go back, um, I can't remember which episode it is with Annie Axford. She talks about her experience growing up in that faith and leaving that faith. Now I did not grow up in the faith. Um, I grew up in a home that didn't practice a religion. Um, and didn't really practice faith so much, uh, but practiced a lot of love and practiced a lot of compassion. Now, it was really confusing for me because I've always been, like I said earlier, someone who really has sought out a spiritual connection, like really wanting to feel connected. And it's funny because I recognized that when I was really young, um, and I've, I talked about the times that I would go out into the garden and talk to the fairies and my spirit guides were all around. I felt really connected there. It was when we moved right before kindergarten and I started kindergarten and met all of these wonderful new friends who were part of this religion that I started feeling really disconnected. And I, I, I was, I've always been kind of a, um, or especially when I was younger, I was very much a rule follower. And so I I was very confused about what the rules were because what I was coming to understand as a kindergarten and first grader was that I didn't, not only did I not follow the rules to be in touch with God according to my friends who were in this religion, I didn't even know what they were. So I began to feel really, really disconnected and became very fearful of doing the wrong thing. 
right? So, so in the Mormon faith, and, and I don't know much about it other than growing up around it and having family members in it, but one thing that I remember from my childhood was my friends telling me about a concept of righteousness and that in order to be um, like really like honored, I suppose, in the eyes of God, that you had to be righteous. And I remember being really like having a sense of what this word meant, you know, kind of a felt sense of what it meant, but feeling that my felt sense of what it meant and what the actual rules were, according to others, was probably incorrect, and that it might not be safe for me to go off of my own kind of felt sense of wisdom, if that makes sense. So I became kind of hyper-vigilant around my actions and around... um, what other kids were doing. And it was this tricky balance for me, right? Because I lived in this family that didn't have these rules and there was also no sense of a higher power. And then my friends had sense of a higher power, but they had these rules. And I kind of noticed that like, huh, a lot of what you're saying, like I learned too, like when it came to like morals and compassion and love, you know, there was this sense that they knew it better because, um, this book told them or something like that. And I was like, nah, like I kind of get that too. But there was still the sense that I was other. So when I look back at some of those experiences, I wonder if that's um, how I could have potentially shut off that clairvoyance because I was really afraid of, one, seeing that I was doing something wrong um, and the criticism that can come with that. And then two, seeing things that were scary. I remember a situation or an experience that I had. I don't remember how old I was, you know, maybe 10 or 11, where I woke up in the night and the light was still on downstairs. And so there was some light coming into my room um, and there was also light from outside. So my room wasn't totally dark. And I think I just had to use the restroom. So I, I woke up and on the way I passed this vanity that I had with a mirror. And when I looked in the mirror, what should have been my reflection was not my reflection. And it wasn't a particularly scary image. It was, um, <laughs> it was probably, maybe it was, I don't know what it was, but it could have been me as an older older person, but this person had on really dark lipstick and long flowing hair, and um, there was something really kind of mystical about her and kind of powerful about her, and I just freaked the fuck out. (laughs) I didn't even stop to listen um, or to see what it could have been. I just freaked out, and so um, from that you know, that would, could have also led to, to this experience. I was really good when I was young at sensing what people were carrying with them. Okay. And I mean, energetically and it clairvoyantly, I think what I was really able to see are, uh, like where people, are people, are, are, 
what I was able to see were people's shadows, where they had packed away uh, their stuff, where they had um, places in them that were traumatized and left unhealed. And I, from a very young age, would just get a sense about these people. And I, I kind of feel bad even seeing it like that because I don't want to create any sort of um, us versus them mentality, you know, just because some people are carrying around more trauma or more sense of negativity than I am doesn't make us any less equal, doesn't make me more evolved, nothing like that, okay? Um, but I would just notice kind of this, um, I mean, you could call it like a darkness or a shadow, where uh, other people who are in my life were just more clear and sparkly and shiny. Um, so there's a couple examples of this. So one of them I remember really, really clearly. Um, some of my, my parents, really, really good friends, and they had or have daughters who are close to my age and the age of my sister, and so we spent a lot of time with them growing up, and I didn't like the father. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but he made me uncomfortable. Whenever I was with him, I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I wanted to be out of the room. I wanted somebody else to be with me. I didn't know how to explain it. And besides him cracking inappropriately aged jokes, which my parents were aware of, I didn't really have, you know, I didn't have any physical evidence. This person never hurt me, you know, nothing like that. Luckily, my mom believed me and knew that, you know, going to this person's house was a source of stress for me. And so she, she would, um, I mean, not protect me, but she would say like, okay, if you don't want to eat with us, you know, we can go to the grocery store and you can pick something out and you can take a book and, you know, and read it and whatever. And it was just kind of interesting because later on in my life, um, he was, oh, tried for, um, put on trial for different things, um, uh, assault and battery and, and things like that and spent some time in jail. So it's just kind of interesting that there was a way that that could be seen. There's a way that we can sense beyond behavior um, where somebody is carrying trauma and shadow and where that might be driving, um, driving them. But and and that that's kind of a whole other conversation just uh, you know talking about darkness and shadow and whatever but for me from my experience i was really afraid to really see that stuff right so instead of, instead of wanting to spend time with this person who scared me i just knew that they scared me i wasn't curious about figuring out why i didn't know how to get any other information besides how icky it felt in my body. And so I just kind of tried to avoid the things that felt icky in my body. 
And this comes back to play when I start on my clairvoyant journey. Like I said in a previous podcast, I became interested in the intuitive arts in my early 20s. Um, you know, I was living in Colorado. And something I realized I forgot to mention in that story, I think it was episode 11, was that when I was down in Colorado, my first experience receiving energy work, so not a clairvoyant reading, but my first experience, and this was before the clairvoyant reading, was receiving Reiki. And I was working at that cafe that I talked about, the Soul Garden, and we had to cater some event. I don't remember exactly what it was, um, but we were like the, the catering or the concessions at this event. And some of our regular clients were there and they had a Reiki booth and they said, come over, you know, we'll give you a free 15 minutes. And so when I had a little break, I went over and I laid down on their table and I had never experienced this before. And I had recently had my first massage, like, I don't know, a month or so before. And so I knew I would finally had this experience of how good it felt to have my tired, sore muscles worked on. And when I laid down on that Reiki table, it was better than the best massage, than the best sex. It was like, I, it was so wonderful and so pleasurable. Receiving Reiki for the first time was like, it felt like rivers were opening up in my body and it felt like I was being hugged and comforted by the most nurturing energy. It felt like I was home. It felt like I was being comforted. And I don't know how else to explain it other than I resonated with it so much. I became like a super fan. And so I kind of consider Reiki to be like the my gateway <laughs> into energy healing. And, and actually soon after that, still in Colorado, I took Reiki training level one and two and became certified in Reiki and, and gave some Reiki here and there. Um, and then honestly, I got a little bored with it, which I'm, I'm sure some of you are <laughs> not happy with that. Um, but but that was that was kind of my my inroad. And so there wasn't a lot of visions, but there was so much feeling. And when I received Reiki within my like training programs, I I was that person who had uncontrollable crying on the table, who like laughed, you know, like these these things that um, had been stuck in my body seemed to just come pouring out with this energy work. So it was really, really effective for me. Fast forward to after Colorado, after I graduate from undergrad, I've met this man who would become my first husband. And at the end of my, or kind of near the end, I guess, of my senior year of college, I am applying for graduate schools. And I actually get in, get accepted to this awesome program 
California uh, Institute of Integral Studies, uh, where I was going to do a PhD in women's spirituality. And the director really wanted me to come. She accepted me on the spot. She wanted me there. And I got scared. I got scared. I was still in this place where I was, I was not living my truth. I was still living in this fear-based place. And so instead, I took, I accepted um, an offer from the same university as my undergrad, the University of Montana in Missoula, to study environmental science. Because <clears throat> it was safe. It was safe, and my fiancé was there, and um, I could afford it, and I, and it's kind of funny because when I was making that decision, uh, my clairvoyant, who I saw, I was like, oh my God, how do I make this decision? I'm too lit up. I can't, <laughs> I can't make it. She said, you know, why don't you go do something really relaxing and really joyful? Like go get a massage or something, and then you will know. You will know what the decision is. And I got the massage. And the decision was like, go to California. It's going to be like the best thing ever. And then I just totally chickened out. So, you know, talk about still being in a fearful place. I chickened out. And I lived with my fiancé during that time. And if any of you have read my bio on my about page, you'll you'll see this story. But we had this relationship that was, you know, based on physical activity together. We loved to hike. We loved to mountain bike. We were both scientists. He is a chemist. I, you know, was a an earth scientist. Um, and so when we when we lived together, I remember would spend these evenings in kind of my office. And I would knit and listen to Hay House Radio. And I would listen to like all these spiritual <laughs> radio shows. And he was okay with that as long as it was kind of in the closet, if you will. So, um, and I remember asking him, you know, as we had kind of made this plan to get married, he was going to spend the next year in California where while I finished up my graduate degree in Missoula and I, I you know I asked him I said spirituality is a really big part of me and it doesn't seem like the forefront now but it could be at some time and and I knew that he was an atheist or an agnostic um, he's kind of at least at the time he was kind of somewhere in between and so I said is this okay like is this part of me that you can accept and he said, yeah, absolutely. Two days after we filed for divorce, we were in this place where we could actually be really, really honest for the first time with each other. And he said, you know, I remember you asking me that. And I remember thinking, she'll grow out of it. Well, spoiler alert, I didn't. <laughs> So um, I finished my degree and actually moved to Monterey 
to be with him. We got married. I worked as a water quality specialist. And then during this time is when I finally said, you know, I want to start exploring these meditation tools. I want to start doing more of what my intuitives had been doing and kind of been teaching me through the years. And so out of our little tiny home in Seaside, which is like next door to Monterey, I started taking the meditation courses that would actually become the foundation for many of the tools that I teach in the Refuge for Sacred Rebellion and in um, the School for Sacred Rebellion that's coming soon. And at the time, you know, my my husband at the time was kind of like, okay, like this is all right, and um, and I and it was becoming really fun as I made it through. I think there were four classes. There was like a um, psychic tools one hundred one and one hundred two, and then a healing one hundred one and one hundred two. And when I was getting through the ends of my healing classes, I was having so much fun. I love healing. And what what was really cool is that I was starting to see stuff, like my vision was starting to come in as a healer uh, without trying, without trying to read. And so I just was having so much fun. Now, about this time, we had to move to San Diego because my husband got like a job, a job there, a permanent position. And so we moved to San Diego and this was like 2009. And when we got there, I was upset that we had to move, you know. Um, there wasn't a lot of option. He had a very, very specialized job. And so we moved there, and I said, okay. Um, I had a really hard time finding a job. It was 2008. The economy had crashed. And so I said, all right, well, you know, I'm going to take this yoga teacher training program because I can't find a job. And also, I'm going to take this clairvoyant training program. You know, I've been doing the prerequisites. I'm ready to take it. Um, I ha- we have some extra money. I want to take this program. And he said to me something along the lines of, like, like why, you know, why are you doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And I just said, you know, it's really important to me. So I signed up for the clairvoyant training program. And, and then that night, like I told him, I, I sent in the paperwork, I paid the money, and he lost his shit. So I didn't really realize how much had been brewing uh, behind the scenes for him. But apparently, you know, knowing what I told you that I figured out at the divorce, you know, he thought that this was kind of something I was doing therapeutically that I would grow out of. And so when I actually signed up for their clairvoyant training program, we had an all night yelling discussion because he wanted proof of metaphysical, like proof that the metaphysical world existed. And at the same time, he was not open to any sort of truth that I could actually give him, you know, because the truth that I can give is based in the subtle world, and he wasn't really willing to see the subtle world. And so we just kind of came to an impasse. And so that was, that was how I started my clairvoyant training program. And I was, you know, I mean, I was really hit with this sense that I shouldn't be here, that maybe this isn't real, 
Um, maybe I am crazy, like he says, uh, you know, and, and all of that high that I'd been riding from my healing class, you know, feeling like, gosh, this is fun, you know, playing in the subtle world. By the way, I'd been able to completely eliminate my stomach aches um, just by doing these energy healings. I didn't get nervous anymore. I mean, it was incredible. And I had been on such a high and all of that went away after this. And when I started the clairvoyant training program, I didn't see a thing for like three months. I had just been easily doing clairvoyant readings, like accidentally in my healing program. And I got hit kind of with this big whack, energetic whack from my then husband. And I also wanted it so bad that I was trying so hard and I was so serious about it, you know, because I had this husband who seriously wanted me to prove that I could do this, that all of that effort and all of that seriousness created this tension within my subtle sense organs and I could get no information. And so it wasn't until my teacher at the time finally said, hey, Anna, Oh, <laughs> well, she said, hey, Anna, you need to decide if you really want to do this. Is this your truth or not? Because the other thing that I was doing, this course that I was taking was live online. So I was joining readings and joining class from an online space. And every time I would drop the connection. My internet was fine. Their internet was fine. But energetically, I was like shorting out the connection with my doubt and my fear. And so after I had that talk with her, I really had to dig deep and decide, like, do I want to see? Do I want this to be part of my life? And am I okay doing that even while I'm living with somebody who doubts me? So I decided to do it. And the very next day, I (laughs) saw things. I was like part of the team of psychics in training, and it was really, really great. And I would come off of my evening classes just at this great high. It was, oh, it's just so much fun. I absolutely loved what I was learning. And I'd walk out of my office to my stony-faced husband who, because he didn't believe in what I was doing, um, just wouldn't ask me anything. He just would kind of stonewall me. Um, And I might be bubbly and talking about something and I would just receive silence for him. So this was the atmosphere that I partook in my clairvoyant training. And so going back to this, this fear piece, going back to kind of being able to see the shadow, something that I realized was that in the beginning, when I was learning to read, um, I was really, really good at seeing the good. You know, a lot of uh, clairvoyants or psychics will point out all the bad stuff that's happening, but I was just really adept at seeing what was good. And part of this, I think, is a skill. You know, we have to learn to see what's working. But part of it, I think, is because I was still afraid to see the bad stuff. I was still afraid of the darkness. I was still afraid of the shadows. I was more um, attuned to that love and light vibration. Um, And it took me a while to be able to see the darkness. And 
Oh, oh gosh, I'm just looking at how long this podcast is becoming and the story is getting really, really long. So let me figure out how I'm going to wrap this up. All right, so part of the training that I was involved in, it had a, an aspect that included a connection to source, but not in a real tangible way. Um, just in a way, you know, and it was kind of interesting because the, the place that I received my training was actually run as a spiritual institution, like a church. Um, and I don't run my training like a church for a lot of different reasons, but so there was kind of this like mention of like, you know, source and whatever, but deciding, but at the same time, it was also optional. So I kind of love this because it's like I'm working with all of this spiritual energy and my relationship to a higher power is still optional. And however, knowing what I know about belief systems, what I choose to believe will affect everything else. So it will affect the way I work. So for me, being able to see the darkness was like, A, I was ready I I kind of decided like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to be able to see everything. And B, I realized I needed to have someone to have my back. I needed to have sources of comfort, connection, and like teachers to help me when I ran into things that were frightening to me. So that was part of what allowed me to open up the full range of my clairvoyant abilities. So one is that I, and this actually happened more after my full clairvoyant training program, this happened more when I was giving readings kind of semi-professionally, I have what I call my um, like come to heart moment. Um, so people often say it was like a come to Jesus moment, but for me, it was a coming into my heart moment where I finally recognized where the sense of spirit sits within me and how I can always access that. So that was really important for me to feel like it was okay for me to be able to see everything going on rather than just the good stuff, because I had uh, a source of kind of infinite wisdom. And then the other thing I did was make sure that I always had a teacher and always had colleagues that I could um, trade with or get help from if the things that I saw were frightening to me. When I set up shop professionally, so I set up shop like full-on professionally in the late 2013, um, kind of part-time, but since about 2009-2010, I was giving readings kind of on the side for kind of a donation-based thing, uh, like a donation-based price. And what I noticed uh, was that I just didn't attract people who had kind of surface level issues. I just didn't attract people who 
like just wanted to attract a new relationship or who, you know, just wanted to manifest more money in their life. Um, those things are things that a lot of people come in with, but I just didn't tend to attract those people. The, the first clients that I had, um, one was interested in energetically how to get off of opioids that he'd been prescribed. Uh, another one was stuck in a medical treatment that was not working for her and her um, physical therapist sent her to me because she had kind of run out of options. And I immediately saw the, the amount of trauma in her childhood that was kind of leading to where um, she was. Uh, another client of mine had lived through just tremendous, tremendous horror. Um, and so there was this kind of this aha moment of, huh, these are the people who are finding me. I need to be able to see into the darkness. And I remember a little bit later, um, I had an astrological reading with uh, Holly Repen, who I just love, and I'll link to her in the show notes. And she, she said that, she's like, you know, you're not going to attract the easy clients. It was just kind of funny at the time because I was like, I don't really, I didn't really know what she, she meant. Um, but then as I started seeing who I was attracting, um, yeah. So it became really, really clear to me that I needed to be able to see in the dark, to see the dark, to embrace the dark. And now I love the dark. I love the dark and um, you know my my so I I recently released some new photos and they're going to be coming to a new website but if, if you follow me on Instagram or you just see the cover art for this photo these come from in her image photography and one of the images that I um, asked them to capture was me with this really big lollipop and they, it's kind of like the what the fuck picture in this series. Um, but what it represents to me is that I had someone else describe this to me. They were like, you know, you can kind of traipse through the shadows with like, you know, a lollipop and like singing a song. And you have this really nice way of just like holding somebody's hand through the, the land of trauma and kind of combating that pain with, um, you know, with lightness. And, you know, and it, was, it was a really, really beautiful compliment, um, actually. But so this, this picture is me with this um, lollipop. And it's ridiculous. Like, it's a total ridiculous <laughs> photo, even though they did a great job capturing it. But that's kind of been the way that I, I do that. So, and it's not to, the, the amusement and the lightness is not at all to um, disregard or downgrade the extent of the spiritual trauma or the physical trauma even. It's a way for me to be able to grant you safe passage through it. And I think I explained that a little bit in the, uh, podcast number 13 that where I shared that live reading 
part of my job to be able to see and to be able to know is to stay just a vibration or two higher than what we're moving through so that I can see, you know, it's a way to kind of keep the bird's eye view. So this is a bit of a long drawn out story to talk about how I learned to see, how I moved from having my sensory channels really, really open to being able to kind of turn off the valve of clairsentience when I want to and turn on the valves of clairvoyance and claircognizance. Now, I, you know, I mentioned some of the programs that I studied in for, for, these, for these things, and there's a huge focus on clairvoyance. So something that I'm going to be doing really differently in the School for Sacred Rebellion is making sure, you know, like I said in episode 13, that all of the clairs, all of the intuitive channels are covered so that you can find a way of serving your intuition and developing your intuition that really honors you and your skills. I think that in the next episode where it's just me, I am going to be continuing the story because there's a lot more. I just don't want to run over an hour today. I want to talk more about my come to heart. I want to talk more about how I came as a spiritual orphan, I guess, into a sense of real spiritual connection. Um, Yeah, so I'll be talking more about those things in the next episode. If you like this podcast, um, please consider going to Patreon and supporting it with a couple of bucks. Or if that's not available to you, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. That helps get this podcast out to more eyeballs. And you're always welcome to write to me, Anna at sensitivityuncensored.com, and tell me more about what you want to hear. I also ask my Patreon supporters to ask me more of what they want to hear. I hope that my story has resonated with you in some way, and I would just love to hear your responses to what you heard here today. As I promised in the beginning, I'm going to be doing a group oracle now. So connect with that question. Maybe you formed it in the beginning of the podcast. Maybe something comes up now. Form a question in your mind, maybe getting clarity on something that has been bothering you or plaguing you for a bit. I'm going to take a couple of moments to give you pause and center yourself around this question. And I will pause right now. There is a time for everything. You may, you may not realize it but sometimes you are just planting seeds. You're not at the point where you're seeing them sprout and you can't do anything to make them sprout any quicker. Allow yourself to be exactly where you are on the journey, even if you have bright, bright wishes to be somewhere different. Spirit is listening and conspiring to get you those wishes. Stay true to yourself, 
stay true to your path. For information on everything shared here, including show notes and links, visit www.sensitivityuncensored.com forward slash soul of sensitivity.